my role naturally fits into trying to push people to be more ambitious and then try and bring in people that can take care of that and, and then it's just having confidence and trust in those people and then if you don't have a confidence and trust in those people to do it then you've got to kind of get on top of it and act pretty quickly. This is The Summit by Fields Adventures. I'm David Nunes and every week my co-founder Dominic McGregor and I will be talking to inspirational leaders about their experiences as they strive towards their summit. Hi everyone, thanks for joining us today at the Summit. We're Phyllis Adventures and we're following the journeys of entrepreneurs and interesting people who are on their way to their summit. Maybe they've reached their summit on the next on their way to their next summit. We're here today with Gareth, the co-founder of Delio, uh, who is really disrupting the whole public and private market investment space. Thanks for joining us, Gareth. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Interesting career path. Started in corporate finance. Now you're a tech entrepreneur. How did that all come about? What's um, about the journey? Yeah, bit of a bit of a blur in the grand scheme of things, but I think I would had a bit of an interest in the, the technology industry, kind of an industry I grew up in. My uh, my old man had a business, kind of manufacturing PCs when they were kind of these big boxes, <laughs> kind of growing up a little factory in, the, in 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 South Wales. So I think that was kind of where I kind of saw the kind of the, the change in direction of the IT industry and the tech industry more broadly, how that was evolving. Um, always wanted to kind of do my own thing, but kind of realised there was probably some felt like there were some boxes that I kind of needed to tick along the way. So I went off and did my university and then went into yeah went into the corporate finance space qualified as an accountant so that was kind of where the, the genesis of delio came from really so yeah i think so talk to me, what is delio well genesis really was we recognized kind of the changing face of you know investors on you know people creating wealth it's you know completely different to say 20 years ago where 20 years ago it's that kind of smoking jacket pipe type stereotype today's generation of people creating wealth of more different walks of life and backgrounds as we know um, and it's all around what they're kind of interested in doing with their money after that. And typically that's geared around private markets, alternative investments. We started observing kind of what some of the larger banks are really doing to cater to that growing demand. Um, and the answer wasn't really much at the time when we founded the business. We kind of recognized that they were the best place to do more for their clients in it. So started building the, the tools, the technology and the platform to enable them to offer alternative investments to their clients in a way that's kind of more efficient, effective, and more robust from a risk perspective than it was during the days of kind of emails, PowerPoints, Excels, and, and stuff like that. And so we've kind of got a SaaS model that we, we now digital, we've digitized the end-to-end process, sell it as a SaaS business, and, and have gone to market with that for the past five, six years now. Fantastic. And you're based in Cardiff, the business, right? Yeah, yeah Cardiff is where I'm from, yeah. Cool. You can listen, you can hear the... Hear the twang. It's not left yet, has it? Not quite. <laughs> not quite. Depends on what what environment. It's not. It's, it's uh, yeah. We don't have the, the Welshiest of accent where I'm from, but either side of us, it gets it gets notably stronger. So I bet. So you built a tech team there, have you? And yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the team's about uh, ninety people now. Um, all our technology is in house. So we were quite, you know we were set the business up in 2015, 2016, and kind of I think the the environment was pretty different to to what it is now. The team is a little bit more kind of hybrid, remote, and dispersed up and down country but um yeah it's still the majority of the hq for the business is cardiff and then we've got offices in in london switzerland and, and people dotted around elsewhere in the world what was the landscape like in 2015 2016 for hiring good people for you know raising money for your own idea mm. it feels like a very long time ago yeah i think it's um i've always been quite a big advocate i mean one of the primary well it's two primary factors really for moving back to from manchester back to cardiff to set the business up the one was kind of the practical reasons i couldn't really maintain my my corporate finance, Manchester life, lifestyle and, and set up a business. So that was probably factor one. Factor two, um, also I needed to move back in with my parents. But then factor two was kind of wanting to build a, you know, a true startup success story out of Cardiff because there hasn't been a, a vast quantity of them. I think we kind of punch quite substantially below our weight when you, when you look at comparable 
I think it's 2% of money goes into, yeah, I mean, it's, into Wales. Yeah, every statistic yeah. looks pretty bad. I mean, there was a, there was a article this year that there had been kind of 8 point something million of capital raised in Wales in, in Q1. And I think 6.3 of that was us. So there wasn't really much, <laughs> um, much going on in terms of activity uh, even now. But even then, you know, th- I think it's improved a lot and there's a lot of kind of positive momentum. But back in 2015, it was kind of really, really early stage. There was kind of limitations, you know, if we just spent a whole time focused on Wales as our, as our home market and that was really going to grow the business. And I think we probably would have struggled, but we realized from the outset that our industry and our business opportunity was global. So we didn't, you know, whilst Wales was at home, we were kind of out there at every opportunity on getting on planes, speaking to people wherever we could. And that kind of inevitably ended up meaning our kind of invest, in target investor base was, was much broader than just Wales, which I think was probably a good thing. I actually think what you said there in terms of going back home with your parents is, is really, really humbling, humbling. And I think a lot of people in life don't like to move backwards to <laughs> move forwards. And, um, you left a, a carbon finance role, which for people that don't know is, you know, mm-hmm. quite a nice lifestyle. Yep. So how, talk me through that because a lot of people can't do that. They can't go backwards. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was kind of, it was, I was 20, I was 25 at the time and, and obviously, you know, it was a really, really, really great firm and it was all going really well and there's a really good kind of path progression and, and the, and the opportunity was great, but it kind of been always something I'd wanted to do. And again, it's always a combination of factors, but I think one of the factors was kind of, naivety and at that stage of my life that you know, this, this couldn't go wrong I didn't really see this as not working out I just I was just kind of convinced it would we'd figure out how to do it so it was kind of just going in a little bit like yeah this will work don't worry about it type type mindset I think was um was a big driver but I was also kind of you know at the stage where I felt like if I didn't do it at that point of my life then it probably as the years were going to get as things were going to I was going to get older more and more commitments in life come around it probably would have become more and more difficult to make that transition I'd always had in the back of my mind um, that when I came across the right opportunity, the right idea, that I was going to make that transition. Mm. So it wasn't like a super difficult decision, I don't think, at the time. Um, for you? No, not no. I did, for well, others? Uh, well, for me, yeah, it just didn't feel like a didn't feel like a massive. It really didn't feel like a, a risk. I think that was probably just blissful blissful ignorance. But um, as as I did it, then I moved back in, and all my friends are still going out in Manchester. And I'm sat in sat in Wales with with mum and dad. It was probably uh, that was probably a little bit more where it started kicking in, maybe three months, thinking. How do we get this mobilised, what we do? Because, again, at that kind of age, you don't have massive amounts of uh, wealth sat in your bank account ready to go to be investing in the company. You've got to figure it out with what you've got. The idea of taking a lifestyle which you get accustomed to and mm. ripping it up in a different city and going to sit back in your parents watching Ant and Dex at the night takeaway. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then, you know, shifting, shift lanes and going to a, a, a different gear, I actually think that's, that's hugely, hugely commendable. And like not many people have the kind of um, belief in themselves to make that transition, to know that going backwards is actually a bit, uh, to make a big step forward. So I think you should be giving yourself more credit than you, than you are already for that. Yeah, no, it's, um, like, I think it's well, like, you know, it's like great that I had like parents that actually even, even let me do that. They didn't even, they didn't, they were pretty devastated when I did say what I was doing, but they, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't get my way. Yeah. So um, they were super supportive and even still are now, like even just for little things. Like, so. We all know business is in a straight path. You know, we know there's, there's kind of moments and this could even, even be two days next to each other, days where you feel like mm. things are clicking and they're working and the next day it's like, oh, well, maybe not. Yeah. How do you manage that in terms of the growth of the business? I think it's you always kind of learning, learning as you go. And I think one of the first things I picked up on quite quickly was that it, when you first start it, you, then the, again, it's that, that ignorance and that naivety takes to the point of, you know, being very, very 
like up when something good happens. And that could be even something simple as you're trying to sell into a bank and the, the bank responds to your email in the early <laughs> days. You know, it's really, really minor things in the grand scheme of things. But, you know, you get really, really excited, really, really happy about it. And then when something doesn't happen that you that you had you had planned out or something goes a little bit differently, then you get kind of really low. So I think one of the, kind of the first things David, my business partner, and I figured out was kind of all around trying to main, you know, try and stay as level mm. As, as you can so not like you know celebrating the successes and, and dealing with the issues but not going one or two ways because if you're constantly up and down like that then you're just going to drive yourself mm. going to drive yourself nuts right so I think that was kind of one of the, the quick things we do so now you know the, the biggest thing could be blowing up in front of me now and I tend to just say oh yeah, is what it is like type, you know you've got to just kind of learn to be pretty bulletproof when it comes to that so I think that's probably um, something we try to you know, tease out early on. You know, a lot of people are looking to you yeah, for, yeah, the lead, yeah. the, you know, the answer or the, you know, or is this a problem or is this not a problem? So even if it is a problem, you've probably got to imply that it's not a problem because, you you know, the more drama and issue that's caused, the more difficult it's going to be to solve the problem, right? Yep. So, a lot yep. of entrepreneurs we speak to, you know, have had co-founders and have, for them it's been a massively positive experience because mm. they've shared the journey, the ups and the downs, a bit of this kind of levelling each other out. How, how's that been for you? Yeah, definitely. I think it's very difficult. Um, I speak to a few people who have done that kind of first-time founder, mm. single founder journey, and you do, you, you are very much, you know, you're always an island when founder find a business, whether you've got a co-founder or not, I feel like, but you're very much an island if it's, if it's just you and nev- there's never going to be anyone there to really have that similar point of view or that similar kind of passion. So I think that that was super valuable. And I'm also kind of, you know, acutely aware of, you know, what I'm good at and what I'm not. Uh, so I think having, I think if you've got someone there as a co-founder and a partner who can make up for your weaknesses, then it really, really does strengthen the overall ability to make the business success. You know, you see scenarios where, you know, it doesn't work so out, but it's often when the, the, the teams are quite similar by nature and they're missing a piece and then neither of them can kind of accommodate for that missing piece. But I think that's been a, yeah, that's been a big, a big help because there's a lot of, you know, we, we've always had the same vision for the business. So that's actually the conversation of what we're going to do with the business hasn't really changed since inception of the business we still to this day are sticking to a very similar strategy just execute a little bit differently there's obviously different views in terms of how we get there but that's always pretty healthy right so has there been any major pivots like you know you started in your mum in your mum's house Mm. yeah uh with an idea like did you execute the exact idea has there been any major pivots i think like the, the idea was we did you know our first kind of big milestone for the business was kind of like eight nine months in so Dave stayed in his job for, a, for yeah. another year or so and, and funded me a bit out, out, out of that but kind of the first break for us was we got onto this accelerator program that was London based it was kind of at the time there was kind of textiles and startup bootcamp were the two main ones we got on startup bootcamp fintech and we were like the earliest stage business on there and we like we turned up at like the pitching ceremony with the pitching ceremony like the pitching weekend with like people we just roped in as ringers <laughs> to pretend they were part of the team to make the team look bigger and stuff like that and uh and um, that was kind of, we managed to get on the program and that was kind of where we first really got to look at the business model and what we were doing. So I think actually once we had that session and made a couple of decisions around what we are and what we're not, probably that core business model of being, you know, doing the picks and shovels, delivering all the tech and tooling for the industry because under digitalized and then looking at how we plug it all together and be the infrastructure, that stayed pretty standard. I still think that's the, that's the path. Mm. We've obviously added in lots of different things and the product's gone you know, very different to what we initially had. We put together this initial business plan, which had this drawing of what the platform was going to look like and it looks nothing like. So there has been a very different meander to where we're getting to, but I think actually the end goal is still stay fairly on track. I'd say about 75-80% actually. And that, that end goal, you know, the kind of, mm. I guess the, probably the mountaintop you're aiming for. The objective kind of is to, you know, it was always to build like a, you know, start success story in Wales, and I think that's a, still a positive um, 
impact that more tangible impact that we most tangible thing I can do in terms of impact on the startup ecosystem there locally from from where I am. The mindset around the what we how far we take Delhi is kind of we'll keep shooting for the the big outcome and the big goal, and if we fall short of that, we're still done okay. Um, so you know it's a, it's a super interesting market. There's a lot of people scratch their heads around what we do, so it could you know it's very difficult to predict what's going to happen in in six twelve months let alone kind of two two three years it's still up in the air and then obviously you get you know you, you start to get to the point when you get to the first time found when you've got you know 100 people then there's going to be a plan to get to you know another funding round 250 people or whatever at what point am i going to be out of my depth what time at what point are we all going to be out of our depth so there's always those kind of considerations but i think there's you know a long a decent there's still so much to do in that industry i think it would have to be pretty off the charts to convince us otherwise of of, of that at the moment as you've been building you've been different phases of the business you know, a lot of uh, founders talk to us about the different skills needed in different phases, different management teams, you know, what your your leadership team looks like, you know, in year one, two versus five, six. How have you managed that? Are they the same people? Have they kept up with the growth or, or not? Have you had to bring different people in? How have you found that? I think that's probably the biggest, one of the biggest challenges um, in running the business because I think as the, more because of, you know, the route that the organisation structure takes because how we've always tried to approach hiring is, in the early days, definitely, um, and even still try and maintain it as a you know a cultural aspect today. But it's around finding you know finding good people that fit into what the company's trying to do, what they're trying to achieve. Are going to come in and be able to have all those traits that you need, and then you know the roles will find them. And then where there's gaps there, you fill you fill around that. So we've always tried to hire on a people first principle rather than like a role first principle, which helps them because you probably get more diverse people that are more adaptable to different scenarios and situations. So if you do need to change the org chart, they're not going to get, you know, as upset about it perhaps as someone who's been brought in and said, this is my job description. This is what I've been told to execute on. I'm not sure there is built for the change and the change, constant change of direction that you're going to have. You know, there's been some tricky conversations. We've made a few, um, you know, a few, bit of a mess in a couple of areas over the years. But I think in terms of you know, this funding round we just closed right now, it's just given us a good opportunity to really kind of strengthen the bench around leadership. And so we're trying to get away from that idea of it being a small portion of the people take shoulder in a large portion of the load because that's obviously not scalable. So there's, you know, there's, there's certain teams that I think we're really well established now with leadership and it just runs. I don't even need to do anything or be involved. And there's others that need a bit more kind of focus attention, but we're, we know where they are, we're rectifying it. And I think over time we'll be in a, be in a good place. And then it's just around making sure you can keep those people that are doing a cracking job happy and, and that's a different story, right? So Make it sound so easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, is a, that is a blueprint. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm convinced. It's like, yeah, yeah. I completely know what you mean. Simple, simple, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people talk about you know, personal sacrifice. So if, you know, you, you, you've really decided to disrupt industry. You know, you're trying to aim for something big, do something really meaningful. There's always a cost to that normally. Mm. As a, have you... I mean, sometimes you don't know that until much later and you look back and you go, oh my gosh, you know, that, that was a big cost. Have you, have you seen that? Do you know for you personally? For me personally, yeah, at the time, it, like even leaving Manchester at the time was like mm. a big, felt like a big sacrifice because we, we had, a great, had a great time up there and I was really enjoying myself, right? And, you know, that was a lot to do in the early stages. And I think I was doing a lot of just getting on a plane here, there and anywhere. Like anyone that would talk to us about private markets, like the, my theory was if anyone was thinking, any of these big banks anywhere in the world were thinking about doing something and we've got a whiff of being able to do it, then they need to know we at least exist. So we would jump on like, fly overnight to Bahrain, get changed in airport toilets, do all that, you know, and it was just like, and then I, I, but then I was still trying to maintain like being social, going out with my friends. I was still trying to maintain going to the gym, being active and stuff like that. So I was just like, 
absolutely hammering myself. I was like getting back from a flight at like 2 a.m., driving back to Wales, 5 a.m., trying to go training at 6 a.m. with a friend. It's stuff like that. I look back on it. So there's probably a lot of like damage to myself in those kind of years. And I think as well, like I just completely like shut out anything kind of relationship driven or like that. Something's got to give when you're in that kind of mode of mentality. It's just not um, sustainable. I think then you get to a point where you start, still that doesn't get any easier as the company gets bigger. But I think you become a bit more mature and a bit more able to think about more than one thing. Um, yeah. I think especially as, you know, guy in middle of your 20s, you, you know, usually pretty much, uh, <laughs> don't, you can't really overcomplicate <laughs> things, can you? Being a, bit, being a bit stereotypical, but I was probably quite simple i was like work gym you know it's like yeah. so adding something else is going to blow my mind at that point so as a leader he talks about you know are you going to stay ahead of this and, and keep up with the, the business essentially yeah. how do you do that today how do you make sure you are keeping up with the business growth and not holding it back yeah i think it's um i've always like super ambitious i'm always trying to think about what's you know what the, what the next thing we could do and some call it looking at the next shiny thing right but very much kind of focused on how do we grow how do we build you know, speaking to those, uh, the ne- you know, one step ahead of us, whether that's future strategic partners, future investors, future customers, making sure we're speaking to them, even if we're not quite ready to be there. Mm. And then I think in terms of making sure that I'm not getting in the way of, of growth is actually just trying to, I'm more there, my role naturally fits into trying to push people to be more ambitious and try and bring in people that can take care of that. And, and then it's just having confidence and trust in those people. And then if you don't have a confidence and trust in those people to do it, then you've got to kind of get on top of it and act. Quickly. We've been having a lot of discussions around private markets. You know, obviously, it's what we do. Yeah. We, you know, our, our vision here is to find profitable private companies and support, support scaling them by investing capital and support. How have you seen the kind of macro ambition between private and public play out over, the, especially the last six months? Yeah, even in the last yeah, six months, particularly, it's just um, really kind of exploded. I think as well. I think there's a couple of factors that have driven it. Obviously, you've got all your typical ones that they're talking about where companies stay in private for longer, blah, blah, blah. That's all, you know, common fields. And I think you've got kind of a couple of interesting trends. Like, you know, during COVID, a lot of those people, those wealth creators probably had more time to think about what else they could do with their money than ever before, mm. right? I think, you know, they didn't have to be as heavily reliant on just putting all their money into traditional asset allocations that can just sit there and be taken care of. They probably had time to think about, oh, I can have a look at this, or I can have a look at that, I can read up on this, and I can read up on that. So I think that started to drive a bit more interest and, and engagement. The other bit, on, and that's probably at the wealthier end, at the kind of the more retail mass affluent end, you've kind of got this whole democratization trend really taking, you know, generating momentum. So the idea is that, well, if, you know, why can't, if, if private markets are outperforming public markets, why can't I as the day-to-day consumer invest in those private markets? So, you know, lots of things popping up, which are trying to create, looking to democratize. You know, we get people coming in via the website all the time saying, we want to democratize this, we want to do this. And whether it's VC or PE or wine or, or cars, whatever it is, there's um, a real growing demand on that side as well. I'd definitely say overall it's client driven, but then you also are having the, the financial institutions themselves thinking, well, we need to do on that basis. If that's happening, we need to start doing things that are more interesting for our clients. So we're going to have to get yeah. involved. So they're inevitably being pushed forward as well, which is happy days for us yeah we talked about how archaic we find some institutes in terms of what they offer yeah you know i remember speaking to a private bank for the first time and thinking that there's going to be this amazing club and it's going to be great and they're going to show opportunities and it's going to be this like this amazing amazing community and i was like oh fancy umbrella okay not naming any names no, it's, um, yeah, it's a couple of challenges there from the, from the private banking advisory perspective is a lot of the our relationship managers will be concerned that they're going to lose 
that AUM if they start offering deals that they're yep. not able to register. Yep. So that's kind of on the banks themselves to find solutions for that. And then it's kind of a lot of these propositions do exist within the bank, but a lot of the advisors aren't don't know it exists. Like yep. there's a couple of the banks that we where we knew that was a fact. Like half the advisors weren't aware these propositions exist within the banks. They had these clients asking them for access to interesting stuff. They go say, yeah, yeah, I'll go look, and then just go away and not follow up on it and say, oh, yeah, we couldn't find anything. So we heard all these anecdotes, and that was kind of, you know, it's going back a few years now, but they're the kind of anecdotes that, that, yeah. that drove the But the, the other thing is if you, if, you, if you increase your client's wealth, then your assets and the management over time are going to increase rather yeah. than stifling it by trying to get your lion's share day one. From a, you know, realisation moments have changed. You know, we talk mm-hmm. about entrepreneurs. It tends to be sleep in one bedroom flat in... Camden until exit point, and then suddenly this exit happens, yeah. and oh my god, what am I going to do now? Yeah. Because you know, you know, like as entrepreneur, you're so focused on the on the day to day that the actual planning yeah, only time. happens until it happens, and then it's kind of like, okay, well, what am I going to do now? Yeah. So yeah, it seems to be that case of entrepreneurs, you know, new wealth, I guess, is making money in different ways and making more mm-hmm. money in single moments than yeah. they are over a kind of 30, yeah. 40, 50 year period. So of course they're going to go back to what they know. Yeah. yeah, and they've got, and given them social media now, there's great private networks created mm. just through meeting people. Yeah, and the, you know, the the banks need to, they should be leading it. They're not. Should be, yeah. I think I think there's, I mean, this, you know, the the good ones are definitely looking at it as, you know, private markets being a client engagement tool, a business development tool. Do you even need to ha- necessarily have to monetize putting those deal flow in front of them? Not necessarily. There are ways now yeah. of actually keeping that as AUM by using like deal structures or putting together nominees and SPVs yep. but it's all around that cross sell it's you know if you can go in and talk to a client about something that they're interested in talking about then they're 10 times more likely to pick up the phone exactly. they're 10 times more likely to do the rest of the stuff with you exactly and it's interesting you do see some like you know, I've had a couple of different types of wealth managers get in, get in touch and they're kind of like recognizing exactly in, in that example where I'm not going to be putting loads of money with them at any point in the in the foreseeable but hopefully at some point potentially and they're there like well how can we help you with intros into our bank, how can I do this? How can I do that? And those are probably the ones that are going to be more, you know, more it's competitive longer term. Challenge right? mindset, isn't it? It's yeah. not, you know, the new age of wealth managers and the up and coming banks who are trying to challenge the establishment, yeah. where they'll go, well, we'll do whatever we can to make sure the clients in the best position. Mm-hmm. And you've got maybe like any industry, traditional big boys who are sat there being like, well, we're so and so, yeah. So you'll work with us no matter what. Yeah. We don't need to do anything for you. Yeah. Which is fine for the. The, the last generation, but for yeah. the generation coming down, they don't want to do that. You know, even if it's money being handed down, they want to be yeah. seen to be entrepreneurial. Maybe it's social impact that gets them interested. Maybe it's this that gets them interested. There's a lot more, a lot more happening now than there was. Yeah, I think it's really interesting in the UK specifically, given you look at the FTSE 100 and basically the constituents are, you know, oil, tobacco, a few CPG businesses, right? There's not really anything very exciting in the UK from a UK public perspective yeah. to, to to invest in. The US is different. So I think the private markets in the UK, actually, there's a real, really interesting space there, yeah. I think. That, yeah. yeah, definitely. No, I think that, yeah, I think that's where, you know, if you look in the US as well, you've got lots of, because there's so many, like, so much going on in that pre-IPO tech mm. space, like some of these marketplaces, like DC marketplaces that are launched in the US doing primary and secondary investments into some of these pre-IPO shares, they've got, like, massive, massive amounts of demand, but not just massive, massive amounts of demand from the US, it's also from... From you know UK, so there's actually UK wealth going into these platforms elsewhere in the world. Asia Pack is the same kind of thing, and, and it's because those kind of opportunities aren't as accessible in yeah. the, the UK market. And we're also emotionally, you know, we also want to. I think, well, I am definitely. Maybe it's probably the wrong idea of mine of an investor, but you do want to back 
things you know. You know, you mm. started saying that you wanted to build a business in Wales because you wanted to success out from Cardiff. Mm. Maybe not the best business decision for a fintech no. business, but we are all emotional creatures, and we do believe that things we want to we want to back things we believe in. And if we black, believe in this country, believe in people from similar backgrounds to us, let's give them the opportunity to do to do these things rather than having to take capital to just a probably an unemotional decision in, into the into the US and just be like, okay, well. If I invest, invest pre-IPO, I'm getting a 30% discount. So I 100% think that making capital easy to raise for, for people, giving people who have got capital the ability to access private deals where they can add value alongside capital is the way they have to go because we, you know there is a lot of capital out there right now and there's probably a surplus of good deals. So mm-hmm. let's make sure we can bring those two things closer together. So what's next with Delio? Well, we just done a we closed around kind of three or so months ago. So we that was with Octopus, and that's been really uh, been a really good start to, to life working with them actually. So um, enjoying that. It's, it's nice. Just you know, COVID wasn't a fun time for anyone, and obviously, you know, we we were still moving forward, but you know, mm-hmm. not as some things got you know got dynamic got changed a little bit. So it's nice to be kind of in that position where we've got people in the office couple days a week, five, six people joining in a week again and and uh, growing the team out pretty aggressively. So that's always nice doing all the onboarding and, and stuff like that. Um, now it's about making sure that we deliver. Like the the plan around the investment round feels pretty binary. Like we know what we need to build, we know what we need to hire, we know what we need to launch. And it's kind of, kind of around execution and not not mucking that up. And I think if we do that, we're in a really, really good spot. You sold the idea now. Yeah, exactly. It, so yeah. I just, just want to make sure everyone understands across the business that what we do need to do, it's yeah. not just a case of you can just raise money and start high-fiving each other and that's success. Not, We've actually yeah. got to deliver this thing called return, right? So yeah. The attitude of raising money being the success is something which I think <laughs> yeah, well, we, need exactly. to, we can go on a long debate about that. We could probably do another podcast on that one. Thank you, Gareth, for coming on today. Um, I hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. Yeah, um, and yeah, if you enjoyed uh, that podcast episode, let us know, like, follow, share, and let us know anyone else you want to speak to. And if you've got any questions for Gareth, um, feel free to ask them and we'll get them to him. Thank you. Thank you.